It is Sunday. It is sunny. It's a great day to be in church to worship our Lord. So good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Heights Christian Church. I'm Pastor John Sonkran. Hope you all had a chance to read the passages we went through this week, um, or at least have watched the videos and followed along. Uh, if you are a visitor here and do not know what I'm referring to, we go through the Bible in five years. That may have been mentioned earlier. I wasn't in here for announcements, but we're going through the Bible in five years. We're in year six. This is our second passage time uh, through the book of Exodus. We just finished Genesis for the second time. But if you all know me, I, uh, I go through a lot of scripture. So we probably go through it during one of my sermons about six or seven times itself, right? But that's what we're doing. We're going through the entirety of the Bible because it's extremely important for us to understand the word of God and to understand who God is and how much he loves us. However, before we begin, I want to make an announcement to the congregation. Yeah. Yeah, boo. This will be my last sermon here at Heights. Yeah. Uh, my house is going on the market, and I will be moving towards the Midwest. Uh, right now it's southern Missouri, but I'm open to where. Missouri, Southern Missouri, I'm open to where the Holy Spirit will lead me. Uh, some of you may know this. I resisted God's urging for well over a decade to come back to New Mexico. And I cannot say that I am sorry I came here. I've done more growing in the last three years here at this church as, as your volunteer pastor, as an intern, uh, than I did in the previous decades before. And uh, I believe God called me here, one, to get to know you guys. Called me here to learn under your wonderful pastor, Jeremy Bannister, who has strengthened my faith, who has strengthened my resolve to disciple others, who has guided me through this journey as a new pastor. So it is with a sad heart that I tell you this, that I am leaving. It's very difficult for me to say this. Uh, I've created familial bonds with you. We are family. And understand this, that I travel quite a bit. And when I come back through this area, I will be stopping by. But if we don't see each other again, we'll see each other in heaven. And that I do know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this congregation is growing spiritually. You're maturing spiritually. And it is thanks to your leadership here at this church that this is happening. And so, as Jeremy has been my mentor the last three years here at Heights, understand that, understand this, Jeremy, I'll be calling you. I'm still new at this, still new at taking the rough edges off of this, this piece of coal here to polish a diamond, which God wants me to do, and that's to lead others to Christ. 
And not only that, but to lead others to strengthening their own faith. And to not just say, congratulations, you're going to heaven after saying some little prayer in which you followed someone else along. And then say, have a good life. I'll see you in heaven. Because that is not what we're about. That is not what Christ called us to do in the Great Commission. That is not how it's supposed to be. Here at this church, we show how it's supposed to be. One of the things with a disciple-making church that we need to understand is that disciples come and they learn and they leave. They go out into the world having been equipped with the knowledge of Scripture in order to teach others and to lead others so that they can also lead others. Not all of us will leave. We have a home right here in Albuquerque and Bernalillo County in this area in all of New Mexico and everywhere we travel to that we can tell others of the love of Jesus Christ and be proud to do so and not be scared to do so because if they reject the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ they are not rejecting you they are rejecting him and that is on them it's not on you your job is to tell the others tell them about Jesus Christ tell them how much he loves you tell them how much he loves them and tell them what he has done for you in your life so that they cannot dispute that your personal testimony is your witness and there's no dispute in that you can't say I'm lying when I've experienced something myself so anyway that's just what I want to say thank you have a good day (laughs) let's get on to the sermon so I want to give a little bit of background uh, for the events that will take place during our reading during our reading this week we had Aaron and Moses confronting Pharaoh And we had nine out of the ten plagues with the tenth plague being announced at the end of chapter 11. And that's where we're at on this. So we read chapters 5 through 11 in Exodus. Um, The Israelite people had went to Egypt when Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh. And this was during a time of drought and famine. Now they stayed... And it is unknown exactly when during that 400 years they became slaves. But they did. So these are the events that's leading up to what we're doing today. They're already slaves. And God has sent Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. But he's scared of public speaking so he gets his brother to do it. That's how we should do as a family, right? Help each other out. So what we have here, the first section of this, the title of my sermon is, What Plagues You? Kind of catchy, right? So I want you to see what unrepentant sin does for Pharaoh. The first thing I want you to look at is what God tells Moses that he would do to Pharaoh. So let's begin in, in Exodus Chapter 4, verse 21, where it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, 
When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God states that he will harden Pharaoh's heart here. He says it again in Exodus 7, 3, where it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Now you might be wondering that in these two verses we see God is sending Moses and Pharaoh to tell him to let his people go. Then he says, I'm going to harden his heart so that he won't. That doesn't seem right. God's going to send us to places. He's going to tell us what you're going to do will seem like it's going to fail, but don't worry, I'm in control. I have a plan. And we're going to get to that plan as we go through this. So why did God say that? God states that the purpose in verse 3, so that he can multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Remember, the Israeli people had been there for over 400 years in a foreign land, and they may have picked up some bad habits. And they needed a reminder of who God is and that they are the children of God. They are the children of the promise God made to their forefather Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. So God has to remind them who he is. He will show his signs and his wonders to all who live in the land, the Egyptians and Hebrews alike. Now sometimes we do not understand why things are happening or why God allows things to progress to a point that he could have dealt with earlier in our own minds. We must remember that he is in control and his ways are better than our ways. If God had forced Pharaoh to let the Jewish people go right at the very beginning, where would their knowledge of who God is come from? We'll see later on what happens when they leave and Moses walks away for a little while to go speak with God what they did. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. So It doesn't seem fair that God would say he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Let's take a gander at how Pharaoh dealt with his own heart. The first will be when Aaron cast down his rod and it turns into a serpent. And Pharaoh's like, big stinking deal. My magicians can do the same thing. So they did. And what did Aaron's rod do? Swallowed up all the other serpents. And he reached down, picked it up, and it turned back into a rod. And what happens in Exodus 7, 13... Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. He hardened his own heart with his own stubbornness. In the first plague, there was water turned to blood. See, this was even before the plague. His heart was already hardened. The water was turned into blood, and Pharaoh's men were able to duplicate it, as we see this in verse 22 of chapter 7, where it says, Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their own enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. It's almost like God knew what was going to happen. The second plague is where the frogs were everywhere. And Pharaoh's magicians could duplicate that as well. They couldn't get rid of them. 
Moses had to go pray on behalf of Pharaoh to get the frogs removed. And Pharaoh hardened his heart, as we see in Exodus 8.15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them, as the Lord has said. He did so again in verse 19 with the plague of lice. But there's a difference here with this one. Exodus 8, 18 and 19, we see this. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there was lice on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. You see, the difference here is that the magicians saw this was the hand of God. And they warned Pharaoh about this. And the fourth plague of flies, in which the houses of the Egyptians were filled with flies. They were everywhere. And again, Pharaoh asked Moses to intercede on his behalf. In Exodus 8.32, we see this. But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Want to guess what he did next? When all the livestock in the land were diseased and died, but the Hebrews did not, their livestock was alive and well. See this in Exodus 9, 6 and 7. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Now we'll look at the seventh plague of hail, which destroyed the trees and the herbs of any man or beast that was caught outside when it came, but only to the Egyptians, not the Jewish people or their properties. And again, Pharaoh asked Moses to intercede on his behalf, and he hardened his heart. See this in Exodus 9, 34 and 35. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he had sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. And so these are the times in which Pharaoh had hardened his own heart of his own volition without any help from the Lord. Pharaoh was an evil man to his core. These were seven instances in which Pharaoh had hardened his own heart in this passage. Now we're going to look at when the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The first time we see this is in Exodus 9:12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This was during the plague of boils in which only the Egyptians were affected and not the Israeli people. Let me know if you're seeing a pattern here. Then the eighth plague was locust. Exodus 10, 1 and 2 says this, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, And my signs, which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. 
Here we have the cause and effect. Yahweh hardens the heart of Pharaoh and his servants for the purpose of doing this to show the power and the majesty of God and to tell them to tell their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren in perpetuity the power and majesty of the creator of the universe. It's the same plague that Pharaoh, that the Lord had already hardened Pharaoh's heart. We see the plague of locusts after that in Exodus 10, 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. See, God is not finished with Pharaoh. He's not finished with showing the Egyptians and the Israelites that he is the Lord their God. The same thing happened in verse 27 where again, after the plague of darkness in which there was no light in the land of the Egyptians, but there was light in the land of Goshen where the Jews lived in their households. God is protecting his own. The last time in this reading in which the Lord hardens the heart of Pharaoh, in this reading, is Exodus 11, 9 and 10, in which we see, But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before the Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. So why did the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart? In these passages, we see that not only Pharaoh hardened his own heart, but also that God gave him over to his desires to be hard-hearted, as we have already read in Exodus 7, 3. Exodus 9:16 as well as Exodus 10:1 and 2 we just finished with. You see after Pharaoh had hardened his own heart several times, God confirmed Pharaoh's defiant willful obstinance by the by then judiciously hardening his heart for him. God was not being unjust in hardening the heart of Pharaoh. God had hardened Pharaoh's heart in order to multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and that his name may be declared all over the earth so that he may show these signs of his people or of his before Pharaoh and that the Israeli people may tell in the hearing to their children and grandchildren and their generations to come what God had done for them in Egypt this was God reminding the Israeli people who he was and he was showing Pharaoh who he is Paul reiterates this that God's purpose for raising up Pharaoh in Romans 9.17 when he says this for the scripture says to the Pharaoh for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth Paul follows it up with this command for in 18 this comment uh, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens this is evidenced in the life of Pharaoh right now I want to look at Pharaoh's confessions that he has go to Exodus 9 27 and 28 we see this and Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to him said to them I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. 
Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering in hell, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay longer. We already read what happened after that. Also in Exodus 10, 16, and 17, Pharaoh's other confession. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. See, in both of these, Pharaoh confesses to sin and asks for Moses and Aaron to intercede on his behalf during the plagues. But notice something about these confessions. There's absolutely no repentance in Pharaoh's heart. None whatsoever. And also, in, in, in fact, if you look at 1017, Pharaoh asked that they, gave, that they forgive his sin this only time. He confesses that he and his people are wicked and have sinned, but there's no repentance. But he asked for just one time to be forgiven. Bible Knowledge Commentary by Walvert and Zuck. John Hanna, the author of this section, says this about repentance. Repentance is a gift from God. And there's scripture to back it up. Repentance is a gift of God, from God, that he grants to some by his grace, though in his infinite love he desires that all be saved. God uses people to fulfill parts of his plan, which is Paul's understanding of Pharaoh's obstinance. In God's infinite wisdom, he raised up this Pharaoh for that occasion so that in his rebellion against God, he might be an instrument for God's glory. Since Pharaoh's heart would remain calloused, it is ultimately necessary to compel him by the last of the plagues, the death of the firstborn. Amazingly, Moses told him this right from the beginning. God told Moses right from the beginning that this is what was going to happen, that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. You see, the Egyptians prized their firstborn sons, treating them as special. Oddly enough, Israel is God's son. We see this in Hosea 11.1, and therefore they are sacred to him. Pharaoh had no repentance at all. And therefore, seeking forgiveness just for this once might be laughable if it weren't so serious. He still could not see who he was. Even in the end times during the Great Tribulation, we'll see this in Revelation 9, 20 and 21, in which says this, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. We've heard the old adage that confession is good for the soul. But in Pharaoh's case, it didn't do anything to help out his soul because there was no repentance. He was only sorry that he got caught. And he was being punished for his evil ways. But there's no repentance at all within him. So what are the dangers of continuous sin? Continuous unrepentant sin? 
First part of Romans chapter 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. That's all sin. Sin brings about death. Sin's desire for you is that it can control your life. We see this in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, when God is talking to Cain. He says this, If you do well, would you not be accepted? For if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin wants to rule our lives. That's what it wants to do. See, obviously Cain did not get a handle over that because later on he killed his brother. Continuous, unrepentant sin brings about death and if one is not careful, God may give you over to your sin. And we see this in Romans 1 and we'll go through verses 24 through 32 in this. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in their lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to their vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural, natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the unnatural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, and disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And I use this passage several times in my sermons and it's because I understand the reality of it that unrepentant and continuous sin God will give you over to your your desires he will harden your heart and your sin will control you people don't want to follow Jesus they say I'm free I can do whatever I want Nothing will control me. You are either controlled or led by the Holy Spirit through the power of Jesus Christ. Or you are controlled by your sins and the devil that created them. See, we need to speak the truth to people. I want you to see that in this passage here. We may feel bad for having to tell someone, hey man, what you're doing is wrong. We would rather not have to say that to anybody. It breaks our hearts, especially for people we love, to tell them that they're heading in the wrong direction. And they always throw our own sins back at us. There's a difference. Second Corinthians 7, 
8 through 12 says this. Paul had written to the Corinthians. He says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, and you might suffer loss from us in in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear for you. Paul had written these things out of love, and when we have to talk to someone about what they are doing wrong, we do so in love. Sometimes we forget that. We're not polished diamonds yet, but God is working on us. Pharaoh was sorry that he was caught. He had no repentance. The Corinthians had sorrow as well. However, theirs led to repentance from their sin and repentance from their actions. They decided to turn their life around 180 degrees, seek after God instead of worldly things. Casting Crown sings a song called Slow Fade in which it speaks how sin envelops our lives And takes over so that it rules us instead of us ruling it. The chorus goes like this. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. And thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. When you allow sin in your life, you become complacent. The heat is turned up and you ignore it. You don't realize what's going on because it's very slowly over a long period of time. And you wake up one day and you're enveloped with your sin and your testimony is damaged. It takes time for continuous unrepentant sin to do this. Our lives become hopeless. Or does it? It does not. We have hope, and I have some good news for you. Let's look at Romans 6.23. We've already went over the first part, for the wages of sin is death. But I want you to see the second half here. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is through the gift of God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we can receive the gift of eternal life. Jesus died for the sins of the world, the entire world. All the sins, past, present, and future. All sins. The sin of lust, 
fornication, adultery, lying, stealing, covetousness, anger, murder, shacking up, homosexuality, deceitfulness, drunkenness, etc. I could go on all day with this. We could read the entire Bible and make an exhaustive list, but it's not even exhaustive in Scripture. Jesus Christ paid that penalty for all of them. And you need to know this and you need to understand this. So if you're caught in sin, there's still hope. Come to Christ. To everything listed in Romans chapter 1, Christ died for those sins as well. But those who choose to remain unrepentant of sins will find themselves ruled over by these sins. It takes true repentance, a turning away from these sins in order to rule over them yourself. And it takes the help of the Holy Spirit to overcome it. It didn't happen in a day. It won't go away in a day. See, sins are the things that plague our lives. They destroy our testimonies. And they can cause new believers and unbelievers to stray from the right direction or not come to a belief at all. Christians are not perfect, but we confess. But when we confess Christ as our Savior, we are His representative. David sinned and sought repentance and forgiveness from God. Pharaoh did not. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he sinned, but because he took the actions to repent of those sins. Without Christ in our lives, without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Overcoming our sins can be an impossible task. If we sin and others know it, our actions to seek forgiveness through repentance is what they'll remember. They see that as part of our testimony because we all sin. So if you are perfect here today, I want you to raise your hand. All right. None of us are perfect unless you're Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. None of us are good. As scripture tells us in several places, most notably in Psalms, Ecclesiastes, as well as in Romans. So I'd like to say this to you. You need to find out what sin plagues you in your life. But I have a feeling you already know. I know what struggle, what I struggle with. And I know I am not alone in this. Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun and none of the sins that we struggle with in our daily lives is new. Pharaoh had different plagues that we read about. But I almost guarantee he struggled with the same stuff we struggle today. He just hardened his heart. He didn't seek forgiveness. He hardened his heart so it wouldn't bother him so much that he was sinning against God. Don't go down that path. Don't be like Pharaoh. Confess those sins that plague your life and repent of them. GotQuestions.org had this to say about confession. Related to confession is repentance. Pharaoh's confession, confession did him no good. He didn't have any repentance. They continue. Whereas confession involves admitting what we did was wrong, repentance involves a desire to change course. We not only acknowledge our sin, but take steps to overcome and forsake it. 
Confession without repentance is only words. Most people will confess to a sin when they are caught red-handed, but they may have no intention of changing. Their show of remorse is due to the consequences of their actions, not the sin of the actions. The Bible represents two avenues for confession of sin. First, we are to confess our sins to God. First John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second, we are to confess our sins to other believers. James 5.16, where have we heard that before? James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You want to be healed from it? That's what you do. When we have wronged someone, it is appropriate to confess our wrongdoings to that person and seek forgiveness. So we saw that Pharaoh had no repentance. We also know the difference in King David in confessing and repenting of the actions that caused his sins to come forth. God is faithful in forgiving David of his sins just as he does with us when we repent of them. We can recognize not only what sin does to us but also what unrepentant sin does to our lives and the dangers of it. Once we recognize where we have sinned, do not leave it at that but repent of it and be cleansed of it. God is faithful in this. And finally, we know that coming to Christ and repenting of our sins and seeking to live for him by accepting Christ as our Lord in our lives, we receive eternal life. See, sin plagues our lives, and unrepentant sin can destroy us. What plagues, what plagues you in your life? What sin do you need to confess and turn away from? What example of a life in Christ do you want to set for others? It may take continuous prayer, confession, and seeking the help of the Holy Spirit to guide you through overcoming some sins that have plagued your life through longevity. These are continuous sins. It didn't get there overnight. Do not become frustrated when it doesn't leave overnight. It is not that God cannot fix it immediately but it is because you need to learn to continually overcome it and seek his help in doing so over a long period of time so that your testimony, the testimony of your struggles and overcoming of that sin will be a help to others. Let's go ahead and stand. hope you got something out of today's sermon hope it causes you to reflect on life and what you're doing and what you see in, in those that you're in charge of as parents we are bound regardless of the age of our children to help them through these times to, to continue to disciple them let's go ahead and pray Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Pharaoh and can understand the course you took in freeing the children from a tyrannical ruler who who was plagued with sin to the point that he was given over to sins. We thank you for Christ on the cross 
so that we became your children through his sacrifice and our confession that he is Lord of us all. We thank you that we are made righteous through him and that the sins that plague us will have no hold over us if we confess them and turn away from them and allow you to work in our lives to be rid of them. Father, we ask if anyone here has unconfessed or unrepentant sin in their lives, that they will seek you to confess them and repent of them. Please be with us when we leave here and help bring to light your word, your peace that we will have in you. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.